Hi, y'all. This is Carrie D. from Coffee with Carrie. Welcome to Season 2 of Coffee with Carrie podcast. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. So stick around, pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. I think you'll be encouraged. I'm super excited about this week's episode. It's just you and me sipping our coffee and having a conversation about anything and everything. This week's episode is Ask Me Anything, Coffee and Conversation with Carrie. On Instagram and Facebook, I had asked you guys, what was on your heart? What's on your mind these days? I asked you to send me any and all of your questions you might have about homeschooling, motherhood, faith, organization, friendships, teaching, COVID schooling, and co-ops. A super shout out to all of my Coffee with Carrie newsletter, Instagram, and Facebook mama friends. Thanks for sending in so many awesome questions. You sent me some really good ones. So today, I'm going to attempt to tackle what's on your heart. Now, since my recording studio is a soundproof closet, and I couldn't sit with each of you individually to record this for all to see, I collected all your great questions and homeschooling concerns, and I will attempt to answer them all in this podcast today and next week's episode. So pour yourself an extra large cup of coffee. There are so many great questions that this week's podcast is going to be split in two. This week in part one of Ask Me Anything, we'll be talking about homeschooling, homeschooling super squirmy and active kids, organizational skills, sports in high school, getting your husbands involved, and a few other goodies. Make sure you join us next week for part two. We'll be tackling things like how to fit it all in, how to deal with outside criticism about your homeschooling, how to get connected and find friends, especially during COVID, faith questions, and a few other questions that are still coming in. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to start with this question from Jenny in California, because it's a question I get all of the time from new and veteran homeschooling moms. How do you organize your day and all of your time? It's hard being mom, teacher, personal assistant, nurse, all of the above. Jenny, this is such an awesome and loaded question. <laughs> there are tons of great ideas for getting and staying organized, but I think there are six things that really help. One, make sure you set academic or curriculum goals at the beginning of each year. Two, create a family calendar for each month. Three, try to plan your weekly lessons and activities on Friday. Four, learn as much as you can as a family. Five, do some meal prep for the week or for the month. And six, train those habits and chores. Okay, so first things first. Spend time each summer praying over each child, their strengths, their needs, their progress over the past year, and what you feel they need to work on in the next year. Now, Jenny, keep it simple and keep it realistic. For example, your fourth grade son might be, quote unquote, behind in reading, on track in math, is a horrible speller, hates to write, but loves to draw and do karate. So your yearly simple goals might be for him, one, master phonetic rules that will help improve his reading and spelling, two, 
learn how to write a well-organized paragraph. Three, complete two pages of math a day. Four, read aloud a science or history picture book to his younger sister each week. Five, sign him up for an official art lesson. And six, maybe advance a few belts in karate. The goals are specific enough to help you plan, but not so unrealistic you fail before the school year even starts. Then, research and pray over curriculum and activities, games, or classes you could use to help your son achieve these academic goals. Brainstorm which subjects or topics you can learn as a family that meet his goals as well as the goals of the other kiddos at the same time. For example, pick one history and one science topic that you can study together as a family the whole year. Then, create a family calendar, use it, and refer to it often. I color-coded mine for each child, but you don't have to do that. At the beginning of each year, write in your calendar any field trips, family vacations, weekly classes, birthday celebrations, things like that that you know your family will do during the year. We happen to use an app called Cozy. My older kids and my hubby can see our calendar from their phone at any time, and they're notified when something changes. Then, when you add events, don't forget to put them on the calendar, too. I had one family rule to help keep me sane and to keep my gray hairs at bay. It was this. I guarded our mornings. We did outside classes in the afternoon, and I tried to limit all day out-of-the-house activities to only once a week. For example, our Wednesday co-op classes are every Wednesday, so we try to remain home the other four days of the week. Field trips are the exception, but try not to schedule a field trip every week unless it's your goal that year to be more experiential in your learning or to do nature studies once a week. Then, don't save your weekly lesson planning for Sunday night or Monday morning. You'll feel rushed and behind before the week even starts. And I say planning loosely. You don't have to be dogmatic about your lesson plans, and they don't have to be formal either. You're basically writing the specific things you want to do during the week as a family and with each child. Consult your calendar while planning. If you know you have a field trip on Friday, don't try to cram five days worth of schoolwork in four days. Friday's field trip is a learning day. So plan a four-day school week instead and be flexible. If you don't get everything done you wanted to during the week, just roll it over into the next week. Don't double up on schoolwork the next week. Everyone will be rushed and stressed. So a sample weekly plan might look like this. Your family stuff. This week we will read aloud four chapters from Cheaper by the Dozen, or at least try to read a chapter a day. Finish those nature journal entries that we were supposed to finish last week. We have a field trip on Friday and color and label the Europe map. Now my son's plans, his might be math lessons 23 to 26, work on his how-to paragraph, do lessons 12 and 13 and all about reading and spelling. And my daughter's lessons might be do her homework for biology class and start the research and outline for her biology research paper, do math lessons 34 to 36, and finish reading Scarlet Letter so we can talk about it. Another great tip is to try to meal prep as much as possible for the week. Plan out what you will cook for dinner and then cook and freeze in advance whatever you can. 
Make sure you have at least one crockpot day <laughs> and one leftover day. An attempt to only go to the grocery once a week. This is huge. If you forget something, try to make do with whatever you have already in your pantry and just be creative. The extra trips to the grocery eat up your errand time. We didn't have a particular errand day like some of my friends. Personally, I need to get out of the house at least once a day, so I saved my errands for later in the afternoon when we all needed a break or when my kids were in different classes or activities. And then finally, spend time training habits and divvying up the chores. Homeschooling is a family affair. Everyone needs to chip in and do their own part, even the little guys. So give each child a particular chore for the week or rotate the chores. I personally found it easier to give each child the same chore for the week or for the entire month so they could get really good at it. And I didn't have the constant headache of, now whose turn is it today to empty the dishwasher? We also had a deep cleaning day. Hey, it's called home ec, right? We would scrub the toilets, sinks, clean the microwaves, refrigerator shelves and drawers, and sometimes even the windows. Also, try not to redo what your little kiddos or tweens have done. They will notice and figure, why bother doing their best if it isn't good enough for mom, and you're just going to come right behind them and redo it anyway. Gently show them a few tips each week until the dishes get cleaner and the sinks become sparkly white. And also divvy up the breakfast and lunch cooking. Once or twice a week, give each child a lunch to prepare. Even your five-year-olds can make a PB&J sandwich. Show them how to clean up as they go, and then assign another child to clean up after lunch. Trust me, your future son or daughter-in-law will love you, because by the time your child is a teen, they not only know how to make the basics like boil rice and cook pasta, but they can prep and cook delicious meals, and then they clean up after themselves. I'm sure you already have some tricks that you use too, but these are just six of my organizational must-dos. Okay, our second question comes from Virginia in Lancaster, California. How do you get your child, who's almost five, to sit still, even if it's just for reading time? <laughs> I'm sorry, Virginia. I just had to chuckle a little bit when I read this question because I was flooded with tons of memories of my own son doing exactly the same thing. While now on the other side of this, he's now 18 and well, he's still constantly moving. We are no longer have this fun issue to deal with every day like you do. Okay, so first of all, keep in mind, he's only four, almost five, and he's a boy and he's been cooped up due to the Rona. We're talking lots of reasons why he has ants in his pants. And it's natural for kids to be antsy. It just comes with the territory. So first, try to use his age, natural inclination, and extra energy in your lessons. One of the blessings of being home is allowing our kids to learn naturally in the way God created them. And as homeschoolers, we can allow them to learn without the restrictions of sitting still all day long. Kids, especially boys, learn best when they're moving, so use that to help them learn. Then try to accept more and expect less, at least at this age. 
If you're trying to train good habits of sitting still at appropriate times, like while in church or, yes, during a lesson or two, then make sure you're not expecting him to sit still for an amount of time that's just not doable for him yet. Then, think about what is your definition of sitting still? (laughs) I love that you said in your question you have him jump on the trampoline when you do flashcards with him. That's awesome. So let him jump, throw a ball, whatever it is, if it helps him to concentrate. He certainly would not be able to do that in a classroom. And I'm sure you already do this, but let him do something quietly while you read. Now, get a box of special items he can play with only during read-aloud time. And there are items or toys that he loves. When you sit down to read a book or read something you're learning about in history or science, If he doesn't particularly like to look at the pictures in the book with you, then have a box of items for him to play with while you read. Now, I also have several different boxes that I rotate. This way, the same toys are not brought out every day during read-aloud time. Otherwise, they won't really be treats or anything special. Now, pick toys or items that keep his hands occupied. For some reason, moving the hands and feet help active kids and adults concentrate more. Now, in one box, have some really cool Lego pieces or a kit that he's working on. In another box, have those really cool magnetic blocks. They're so fun and colorful, and they now even have a box of magnetic blocks that can be used to make large marble runs. In another box, put slime or Play-Doh. You can make homemade slime of different colors or even scented Play-Doh. And then include cookie cutters in the box, too. In another box, put some fun drawing and coloring materials in it. Then as he gets older, you can have him do other handiwork during read-aloud time, like needlework or whittling. Bring out a puzzle to work on during read-aloud time. Or get some tangrams or pentominoes to work on. Or a Rubik's Cube puzzle to solve while you read. Hey, even let him play Jenga by himself. The idea is to find some things that keep his hands busy, which will help keep his body still. Now, another idea for the desperate is to read to him while he's taking a bath or while he's eating lunch or breakfast, or even better, save read aloud time for bedtime. When he's in the bath, he's contained and busy. When he's eating, both his hands and mouth are occupied, so you have his undivided attention. And depending on your bedtime ritual, when he's in bed, he's tired and relaxed, so he's all yours. For other subjects, try the 20-20-20 schedule, or in your son's case, since he's so little, try the 15-15-15 schedule. Do 15 minutes of a lesson, 15 minutes of games or activities, and then a 15-minute break. Then come back and start all over again. Do a lot of dictation and narration with him. Don't expect him to write a lot. Do lots of activities and schoolwork outside with chalk and with running, and when it's hot, with lots of water. On the hot days, we used to use squirt guns in our ABC lessons. I would write out different letters with chalk on the driveway, and then I would give the kids a word that started with the letter or gave them a sound, and then they would use their squirt guns to shoot the correct letter. Eventually, it always turned into a water fight, but hey, it worked. Play lawn bowling. Put letters, words, or letters on plastic bottles and roll balls to knock them down. Shoot hoops, or you can use hula hoops for just about anything. Just remember, 
Virginia, he's four, almost five, so it will be tough to keep him still. He's naturally squirmy, so lower your expectations, take more breaks, and teach in shorter spurts. And keep in mind, he's learning way more as he plays, explores, and creates than he is in the 15-minute lessons. So take heart. All right, our next question comes from Laura in the Bay Area. How can homeschoolers get eligibility status for college? Laura, (laughs) make sure you listen to Coffee with Carrie podcasts in a few weeks. I'll be doing a whole episode on how homeschool athletes can play sports in high school and not only get not only get into college, but receive sports scholarships and not get redshirted their freshman year. But let me give you a few suggestions right now. Get very familiar now with the NCAA homeschool requirements and with the NAIA eligibility guidelines. Also keep in mind, if your student is enrolled in a charter school, he or she is not considered a homeschooler. Your son or daughter will have the same exact requirements as a public or public private school athlete, and they are very different requirements. If you homeschool through a PSP or on your own, then go to the NCAA website and download their homeschool packet. You will need to fill in forms for every single high school subject or course your student has completed since freshman year. (laughs) And these forms will be needed to deem those courses appropriate and approved. It is easy, but it is time consuming. NCAA also lists exactly what academic courses your student needs to complete in high school, so make sure you plan ahead and include all of those NCAA-approved subjects in your high school plan. Now, if your athlete is a football player, it will be a little harder to play in high school and get scouted, but if your athlete plays sports like baseball, tennis, soccer, basketball, swimming, things like that, then he or she can play club sports. They do not need to worry about playing on a traditional high school team. Your student will also need to be proactive when it comes to contacting coaches and using certain apps to help them get noticed. So Laura, it is doable. Your teen will do all of the hard work, but you will need to do all of the paperwork. And make sure you listen to Coffee with Carrie podcast in a few weeks. I will certainly go into much more detail about the process and give suggestions on different avenues your athlete can take in high school while still homeschooling. Our next question comes from Terry in Louisiana. Hey, girl, I wish I knew from what part of Louisiana you're from. I grew up in Metairie, right outside of New Orleans. Okay, so Terry's question is a good one. What does your husband do to help with the homeschooling? Well, first, make sure your husband is comfortable helping. My husband always tells people when he's asked this question, he says, by the grace of God, he works full time so I can stay home and do all of the homeschooling. Some dads want to be more hands-on and more involved in the teaching, but some don't. So don't push your husband to do more than he feels comfortable doing. With that said, though, definitely get your hubby involved with the planning, no matter how much of the teaching he wants to do or not do. He knows your kids just as well as you do, and our husbands tend to be a bit more pragmatic (laughs) and tougher than we are. I tend to go a little easier on certain subjects because I know a child struggles in a particular area, 
but my husband is great at reminding me it's okay to push them a little harder. He also has fresh ideas on how to handle trouble spots, and he keeps my binge spending from getting out of control when I feel like I'm failing as a homeschooling mom. So ask him what he wants the kids to learn each year. What life skills does he want them to concentrate on? What heart issues or character issues does he feel they need to work on? Have your hubby be in charge of the family read-aloud time or the family devotions, or maybe even both. If your hubby has a certain skill he's good at or an academic subject he excels in, have him teach that skill to your kids or help one or all the kids in that academic subject. Dads tend to be the fun teacher, so capitalize on that too. And as homeschooling moms, we need a break each week. So have your husbands take the kids out every Saturday morning for a hike or to play at the park or just to run errands. This way you have a few hours to yourself at least once a week. And single mamas, don't worry. Find those male mentors in your child's life. They may not be able to help you in the day-to-day teaching, but they can help you tutor your son in math or give advice to your daughter or teach a certain skill set or just to spend time praying with them. Just make sure both you and your husband pray together over the school year and over any problems that arise during the year. The hardest part for me (laughs) was learning how to balance what I needed my hubby to do and how I wanted him to help with what he felt comfortable doing and what he physically had time to help me with. Now, the next question is from Susan in California, and it's something our family had to deal with the entire time we homeschooled. So here goes. How do you win over in-laws and public school friends? Susan, this is an excellent question, and I hope I do it justice. First, don't expect to win over anybody. (laughs) We homeschool because we feel God is calling us to do it. And we're doing it to give honor and glory to God, not to get praises or acceptance from the outside world. Our goal is to please God, not man. So first, as hard as it is, try to flip your perspective. It would be awesome if everyone was on board and loved that you were homeschooling. But in reality, we will always face opposition and sadly, I think it's only going to get worse after COVID. Okay, so now that I've asked you to do what's almost impossible, you know, not worry about what other people think, let's talk practical ways to sway your family members and disapproving friends. So first, if the grandparents or in-laws or the favorite auntie disapproves, if they live nearby, elicit their help in your homeschooling. I know, crazy, right? But trust me, it works. Let's say your mother-in-law has beautiful handwriting. Ask her to work with your kiddos once a week with their cursive. Grandma will love the extra time spent with the grandkids. It isn't overly academic, so you don't have to worry about, you know, getting behind and other things or worry about grandma teaching them something you don't want her to teach them. And it gives you a little extra time for laundry or errands or working with your toddler. Or reverse that. Ask grandma if she would like to hang out with your toddler once a week for a special play date. Eventually, 
Grandma will see the fruits of your labor and will witness just how much your kiddos are learning and how much they're thriving as she participates in part of their schoolwork. Second, don't argue. (laughs) Try not to prove your point that homeschooling is awesome every time it comes up. We know it is, but we're not going to convince everybody. And remember that most family members just want what's best for your kids, and most opponents only take offense because indirectly, they know that by you choosing to homeschool, you're kind of saying their choice to not homeschool is a bad one. All right, so third, the biggest complaint, especially now after COVID, is that they won't learn how to get along with other kids, or they won't learn how to socialize with others. So invite the naysayers in your family on field trips with your co-op. Invite them to your co-op's weekly classes. They will see very quickly your kids in action, and they will be amazed at just how many normal homeschooling kids there are. They'll probably even be impressed by how mature and polite homeschooling kids are. Then send them photos of your kids having fun at a park day or while on a play date. And don't make it so obvious by sending them a text that says, see, they know how to play with others. (laughs) Just send them a super cute photo of your daughter with her best bud with a text like, I thought you would love this photo of Francesca, or it's such a beautiful day at the park. And finally, teach your kids and let God do the rest. My mother-in-law finally came around after a few years, but my mom never fully embraced the idea of homeschooling. And you know, it's okay. You do what God is calling you to do and let God work on their hearts. Well, this was fun. Thanks for sending in your awesome questions. I hope our little coffee and conversation has helped you refocus and rethink a few things. I especially hope it has encouraged you to keep on keeping on. Make sure you join us next week for part two. We will be tackling how to fit it all in, how to get connected, how to find friends, especially during COVID. We'll be talking about taking much-needed time off, teaching that strong-willed child. We'll be tackling some faith questions and a few other questions that are still coming in. One of the best parts of homeschooling is hanging out with other homeschooling moms. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to a park day with a heavy heart or while in the middle of a self-induced pity party. And then after sharing my awful week with the moms, I would be bombarded with suggestions, insights, advice, tons of encouragement and prayer. We're all homeschooling experts, and we all have a story to share. You never know how your experiences, your struggles, your challenges, and your triumphs can be used to bless others. So keep asking questions, keep helping each other, and keep it real, mamas. If you enjoyed this special Coffee with Carrie Q&A podcast, then join us for our special weekend for homeschooling moms this March in Southern California. We have a Q&A session on Friday night devoted specifically to homeschooling high school. Then on Saturday, the different sessions are full of tidbits like this podcast. We talk about just about anything and everything. But the best suggestions and encouragement are given during the break times. As the moms sit around the tables, they share their hearts and their struggles. The other moms share things that they've tried and what has worked and what didn't work. I honestly think more encouragement and the best sage advice is given in between the sessions among the moms than during the sessions by the guest speakers. I sure hope you can join us this March.
Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining me for this little coffee break. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips at our Instagram account, Coffee with Carrie Consultant. And don't forget to check out my new book, Just Breathe and Take a Sip of Coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. If you heard something you liked, then share our podcast with a friend who might need a little encouragement this week, or share it with a friend who's homeschooling. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to subscribe to Coffee with Carrie podcast, and then take a few minutes to leave a little review and share it with others. Thank you in advance for listening to us each week and for sharing our podcast, our book, and our homeschool mom ministry with your friends. We're so very honored and grateful. It's our prayer that our website, our homeschooling consulting services, our podcast, and our new book will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless. And see you next time.